you knew of the show Hilarious House of Frightenstein. You may not have had any idea what to do with Hilarious House of Frightenstein. It may have been something that was a little baffling to you because, believe me, it was a different kind of show. But boy, oh boy, this was a unique piece of Hamilton history. There has never been a show made in this city anything like this. There may not have been a show to any other places that was ever anything like this. Started in CHCH at CHCH in 1971. 130 episodes were made. And the guy who was one of the driving forces behind it, the co-producer, the brother of the other producer, Mitch Markowitz, who played Super Hippie and I believe also played uh, the, the, the Mosquito. That's what they tell me. Yeah, he is in studio now. Thanks for coming in. This is fantastic. My pleasure, Scott. Good to, uh, good to meet you and good to be here. And i got to tell you that the average interview I do, whether it's in Canada or the United States, takes about as long as your introduction. Is that right? I, I, yeah, you certainly know how to make a guy feel good on his way in the door. Well, I will say this. I, about your show, and I think I'm probably not alone with this. When I was a kid and I would turn the channel and it would pop up, I would never know what to do, what to make of the show. I couldn't tell whether I was supposed to find it hilarious or whether I was supposed to be terrified by some of the people on there. What, what Was it a comedy or was it a horror show or was it some kind of mixture of everything that no one had ever done before? Does that beg an answer or is that just, a, just put that up Maybe in the air and let it go? I'll tell you something. I'll, I'll tell you, Scott, you're definitely not alone in your ambiguity as to what, what was this television show. I'll tell you a funny story about it. The show it was originally produced for CHCH TV here in Hamilton, and we thought it was going to run a year and then go to television heaven, that that was going to be the end of it. Little did we know at the time that it was going to go on in syndication for 45 years, end up being the longest-running kids' TV show in Canadian history, running throughout Canada, the United States, and abroad. It runs in, in Madrid, in Spain, it runs in Norway. It's, it's everywhere, it's everywhere. The funny part, though is not being able to figure out how to pigeonhole it. How do you categorize it? Is it, a, is it a comedy? Is it a horror? What is it? The show was syndicated in the United States by Westinghouse, big international syndicator. And one of the first sales they made was to KTLA in Los Angeles. KTLA, if, you're, if your listeners don't know, is the largest television station in California. And their signal beams throughout all of California. Well, they bought the show, and um, when they got it, when they, when they got the first set of, of tapes, the suits from KTLA all sat around in a room, and they, they screened a couple of episodes. And they're sitting there shaking their heads and scratching their heads and squirming, <laughs> trying to figure out, what do you do with this show? Like, is it a kid show? Is it, is it an adult show? Is it a horror show? Is it a comedy show? So in their inimitable... Wisdom, they opted or decided to run our show from 11.30 to 12.30 at night opposite Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. (laughs) Now, back in those days, Johnny Carson had the highest ratings in the market, in every market. And as you may remember, he was a very conservative kind of Midwestern kind of guy. When Tiny Tim was on his show, he squirmed. He couldn't handle Tiny Tim. So what would happen was, and there was, there's a huge, there was and always has been, there is now, a, a huge college audience in California. My son, who works with college kids now, Julian tells me that there are approximately 2.1 million college and university students in California now. So then there were fewer, but there were fewer everything back then. Anyway, bottom line is, the college kids would all start getting high at 10.30. By 11, 11.30, they were smashed out of their minds, and they all opted to watch Frankenstein instead of Johnny Carson. <laughs> so more often than not, the, the moral of this story is that 
Hilarious House of Frankenstein had higher ratings than Johnny Carson's Tonight Show on, on a regular basis throughout California. It's interesting that you say about the college kids getting high and then watching it. Cause no, were, did I say that? No, were, that was my twin brother over there. Were, <laughs> were you guys stoned when you came up with some of the ideas for this? Because boy, oh boy, some of the stuff you look and you go, man, you had to be. I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you the, the best answer to that is when people ask me and they ask me, you know, I, 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 to this day I still do Comic-Cons and festivals and things all over the place. And uh, at this point, I'm dealing with three generations of Frankenstein fans. The original shows were seen by the grandparents. Their kids saw the reruns in the sort of 80s and 90s and early 2000s. And the grandparents and the parents are now introducing their children to it, their grandchildren to it in some cases, via YouTube or, or VC, not VCRs, but uh, DVDs or what have you. Um, forgot where I was going with that. About being stoned. Thank you. <laughs> Um, people all over the place ask me where the blank did super hippie come from because he, in no way in the world did he fit into Frankenstein or Castle Frankenstein. He didn't work with Igor or the Count or anything. Like, where did he come from? And the only way I can answer that is, uh, first of all, I think drugs were involved at that point. I'm not 100% sure, but there's a good <laughs> chance of that. The truth is my brother and I both grew up watching the original Superman with George Reeves on television. And actually, I was so sad a couple of days ago when I heard Noel um, Noel uh, Neal passed away at the age of 95. Hmm. She was Lois Lane, of course, on, on the original Superman. Anyway, we we loved Superman, and, and it, it was forever in our heads that there was this character with this wonderful outfit and huge muscles and everything. We realized we needed some filler material, 20 seconds here, 30 seconds there. So one of us had the bright idea, let's do a, a Superman uh, spoof. And who better to do the Superman spoof than me, the younger brother, because at the time I was probably around 115, 118 pounds. So we got me a skin-tight Superman outfit, this huge blonde afro, and uh, the rest is history. I just sat Still on the wearing height. the necklace today. There you go. Still actually, wearing the I necklace today. I, they gave it to me, actually, at a festival or a Comic-Con or something. But that's not the only. I mean, all of the characters... Arzini. All of the characters make you say, how in the, where did the ideas, did you guys just sit around one day and brainstorm this until all night, until everyone had gotten loopy or? A absolutely not. I'll tell you how that worked. We, we originally, the original concept was there was going to be a count and there was going to be Igor and that was it. And then it all evolved from there. And if you don't already know the story of the little count, what happened was we thought we would go for a sight gag, as many sight gags as possible, and that, that little kids can, can appreciate because clearly the humor was a cut or two above a five- or six-year-old. So we thought what we would do is look, scour the country, and find ourselves a, a little person. That's what's politically correct to say then. We different labels back then. Um, and we did. We looked all over Canada. We couldn't really find somebody who was sort of perfectly formed and sharp and this and that. And so we looked in the U.S., uh, we only came up with a couple of candidates there. Andy Williams, the old Andy Williams show, he had a little person on his show. We interviewed him, but he was too old at the time. Anyway, make a long story short, we came back to Canada. We looked one more time, and sure enough, we found our little guy, and his name was Guy Big. No, I don't think he was born with that name, actually. His name is <laughs> It'd be a great name, irony if it his, was. His real name was Alan Hoffman, and he came from out west, from uh, Winnipeg, I think. Anyway... We hired him immediately because he was perfectly, he looked great, perfectly formed, um, could speak fluently, and he was 31 inches tall. 
so he was perfect. And we hired another guy named Fishka Reyes to be Igor, and he was a big, booming guy, a South African fella, and he weighed 350 pounds. And he was a jazz singer, I understand. Yes. As my, oh, you did do your homework. <laughs> oh, well, I'm thinking, where do you find a 350-pound South African jazz singer to play Igor? But well, continue. That, that's true. But when you find him, he jumps right <laughs> out at you, I'll tell you. Anyway, um, so it didn't take much to, for us to hire Guy Big. And then the plan was... We were living and, and we did all the pre-production work in a, a large house, a mansion, I guess you could call it, in, in Etobicoke, in the west end of Toronto at the time. And the plan was we were going to get Igor, King Fishka Rays, and, and Guy Big to come out to the house every day for a few days, and I would run through their lines with them and do that. And they did that. And actually, a funny, another funny side gag, uh, King Fish, it was his nickname, um, he drove an old beat-up Volkswagen Beetle at the time. This is Igor. Yeah, and he lived downtown in Toronto, and Guy Big lived downtown in Toronto. So um, they met each other, and they came out together. It was so funny when the house was set back from the road when they drove up into the driveway. Igor had to pry himself out from behind the steering wheel of that Volkswagen, because he was bigger than the Volkswagen, and Guy Big had to jump down to the pavement because he couldn't reach, couldn't put his legs down and reach. And then they came in, we sat down, we started to right read through the lines, we did that for two or three days, and I realized, without going too much farther, that, unfor- I mean, he was a nice enough guy, Guy Big, but he really did not have a funny bone in his body. And, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, lots of people are like that. But we had already committed to this guy. He shook hands. Kind of got to be funny. And had made a tuxedo for him. Anyway, after three days of trying, I, I told my brother, this isn't going to work out. I cannot make this guy funny. Like, just simple lines like, Igor, get the door. He would read it like, Igor, get the door. And, of course, the way it had to be done was, Igor, get the door. You know, he had, he had to talk like the Count. So uh, my brother and I pulled straws to see who was going to have to fire him. And, of course, I was the younger brother back then. I guess I still am. And... Um, I lost, so I came into Hamilton. We were putting him up at the town man, was the town manor back then, around the corner from the station, from Studio A on Caroline and Jackson. And um, thank God when I when I went when I met him in the in the bar, he was already up on a bar stool because I would hate to have had to go up and here, let me give you a hand to <laughs> pick him up and put him on the bar stool. And I couldn't figure out a nice way to do it, so I just shot from the hip and and told him that he wasn't cutting it and he wasn't going to be able to be the count. But in spite of that. We're going to let you keep the tuxedo. We're going to pay you what we had agreed to pay you, and we'll find you another gig. I mean, you can still be on the show. You're just not going to play the lead. And he took it like a man, jumped down off the uh, the bar stool, and slammed his money down first because he couldn't have reached to put it back up there later, and walked away. And that was it. Now we had to go out and find another count, and we, we looked around. My brother was doing party game at the time for CHCH. We thought of Jack Duffy. Uh, and then we ruled that out. We ruled out a couple of people. And then I think it was Riff who said, why don't we try Billy? Maybe Billy would work. Billy Van. Yeah. And, of course, the rest is history. Now, getting back to the characters. We hired Billy immediately. By the way, just to jump in, the, the mini- You want to uh, sell jam now? Is the, it commercial time? Yeah, yeah Guy Big. Actually, I, I hear the story was that Mike Myers, that was Mike Myers' inspiration for Mini-Me in the Austin Powers movies. That's my story. Oh, is that what? <laughs> That's my story, man. I just, I just jumped in. <laughs> That's story well, number seven. Well, I'll continue on. Mike actually was such a nice guy. He he uh, was given the key to the city. He was born in, in Toronto, grew up in Scarborough, was given the key to the city by the mayor. And when he was given the key, awarded the key, he told, and he didn't have to do this. He was a big star. He could have kept it all to himself. But he told the mayor and the assembled audience that you have to give credit where credit's due. He would come home after school. We went from 3.30 to 4.30 at that point. His mom would have a plate of cookies ready for him and a, and a glass of milk, sat there, watched our show for an hour when he grew up 
and got to be rich and famous and became a, a movie producer and did his Austin Powers movies. That's where he got his wow. Mimi and his Maxi Me. Now, yeah. somehow, and what really, I think, took this show from Hamilton to, and probably opened a lot of doors, was when you were able to land Vincent Price to come on here and be the fa- be the really familiar face that a lot Good. of people... H- how did you end up landing Vincent Price? Because it seems like such a ridiculous non-fit that he would come up and do this little tiny show in Hamilton. Well, it's true. I'll tell you why we had to get Vincent Price, by the way. We originally, when we came up with the idea originally to do a kid's show, uh, we went to Sid Bibby, who was the general manager of CHCH at the time, may rest in peace, and, um, and we sort of pitched him on the idea of doing a, a pseudo-horror kids TV show, because we had thrashed out the idea, albeit we only had two characters at the time. And he said, yeah, it's an interesting idea, leave it with me, let me think about it. So we left there realizing we had to absolutely not close that sale. Came back to Toronto, thought about it for a couple of days, made another appointment, went back in and saw him, and at this point we said, listen, Sid, what if we could get a real big-time, heavy-duty movie star, a horror movie star, to be the host of this pseudo-horror kids' TV show? And Sid said, well, like who? So my brother, just out of left field, said, well, how about Vincent Price? And Sid said, you know what, guys? If you could get Vincent Price to come to Hamilton, Ontario, (laughs) to do our little kids' TV show, I'd sign right here, right now, for 130-hour-long episodes. And, of course, he didn't, and the rest is history. Now... All we had to do at this point was get Vincent Price. So we did a little bit of research, found a contact number for him, got in touch with him, and we just put it to him. We just said, listen, we're doing a kid show. He'd never done one before. It's going to be shot in Hamilton, Ontario, and nobody at that point in the U.S. market ever knew what Hamilton, Ontario was, let alone where it was. So it won't interfere with your films. Nobody's ever going to see this in the United States which we thought at the time was true, and we'll get you in and out of town in two days, which is what we told him. It didn't work out that way, and we'll pay you. So he thought about it for a couple minutes and and agreed, and and again, I keep saying it, but the rest is indeed, and in fact, after 45 years, history. He joined the team, came into Toronto. We went on to the set with him, and uh, we started shooting. He was standing on what looked like a balcony on the set, and I was lying on the ground right beneath him, and I had a huge pile of props, and I was tasked with handing him up whatever prop I thought was appropriate for that particular bit, the next bit. After about 10 minutes, my brother called us on the PA. He was directing the show from the booth. Actually, CH didn't have a real booth then. They had a a booth set up in a bus in the parking lot. He, He said, Mitch, Vincent, we have to have a meeting. Ran onto the set. Three of us got into a huddle. He looked Vincent right in the eye and said, Vincent, you're just not scary. I hired you to be scary. And Vincent looked him back in the eye and said, Riff, yeah, you want scary, you have to write scary. This stuff you gave me is cute, it rhymes, it's fun, but it ain't scary. And I'm just an actor, I can't make scary. So we learned a lifelong lesson that day. You want scary, you have to write scary, and it's, it's, it's all in the writing as I'm sure you know. So we came back to the to the house in Etobicoke, called the writers that had written all his bits, and said, listen, Vincent Price can't read your stuff scary. You have to rewrite all 130 episodes oh. of his stuff. That's what they said. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I'm sure. And, and what's more is we're going to lock you in that room over there. No food, no toilet, until you rewrite all 130 episodes. Sounds like kidnapping. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, sure enough, about 24 hours later, there was a on the door, and we opened the door and let them out, and they said, we're finished, here's 130 new episodes. We gave them some water and some food and let them go to the bathroom, and this time, we all say it together, and the rest is history. Yeah. 
We just have a couple of minutes, a few minutes left here, but I understand you have begun or you are in the process now of starting to look into or start working on a documentary on this show. How, how do you go about doing this? I mean, are all the episodes or all the masters just lying there somewhere for you to go and attack and go at it? That remains to be seen. They all disappeared over the years, and and I'm I'm chasing some trails right now. There is a remote possibility that somebody out there does indeed have all 130. But episodes. you don't know yet. I don't not yet. And if if they do have them, there's going to be a, a, a fairly substantial number attached to them. That being said, the truth is we don't really need all 130 episodes to do a documentary. Since we inspired, the show inspired so many people like Mike, like Jim Carrey, like John Candy, uh, like the SCTV guys, like Alice Cooper. like That was, was mm-hmm. all of their favorite show. We're going to interview all of those people. And we've, we, ha- we do have a lot of old footage. Footage. One of the cameramen, believe it or not, he was on the set every day with the show, and he has 650 still photographs. Mm. That goes a long way, and he's given his carte blanche to use all of those. So it won't be hard to come up with enough material to do Phil 70 or 80 minutes. As a matter of fact, we could probably do 24 hours worth of a documentary. It's just going to be honing it all down to a nice, sharp 60 or 70 or 80 The minutes. one thing that will be missing is that my understanding is you are the last surviving cast member. True. I'm the only one left standing. That's amazing. Yeah. And I don't say amazing in a good way. It's shocking that it's, it's only been 40 years and you weren't all old for, men for, when you started. 45, but 45, okay. But and, and I was the youngest at the time, in all fairness. But I mean, even then, you weren't all old men. They weren't all old men when they started. It's, no. It's just, it's, it's no. unfortunate that everyone's gone. It is true, especially since they were all such great people. I mean, I can honestly say that, albeit Guy wasn't funny. He was a really nice guy. The, the big guy was terrific. Vincent Price really the best, nicest, uh, most down-to-earth celebrity I think I've ever worked with. And Billy Van, I can't say anything about Billy Van other than he was the the fastest, sharpest, funniest man I have ever met in my life. Other than Super Hippie, because I understand that would obviously be your choice. Who was your favorite character on the show? Oh, golly. Um, I, I, I guess probably the Wolfman. Yeah? Yeah. And I'll tell you how that evolved, and I'll tell you real quickly. It evolved like all the other characters did. We had an idea one day, maybe we'll do a knockoff on on, uh, Wolfman Jack. And when Billy came into the office, we mentioned it to him, and he did this like he did with every other character. He turned around, spent 30 seconds with his back to us, turned back around and said, I am the Wolfman. Just (laughs) morphed into the character immediately. When it came to Griselda, we said, we're thinking of doing a witch, a wacky witch. We'll get a big cauldron and all that other crap. And... and, uh, we, all, we had at that time, we had an office and we had a secretary in the office. His name was Norman. And Norman wasn't happy being Norman. He wanted to be Norma. And he was going through that transition period. And he was a real over-the-top kind of guy. Whenever anything wild happened, he would go, woo, and do one of those. <laughs> Billy came into the office one day, heard Norman, I guess she was Norma by that point, do one of her woos. Next thing you know, he said, you know what? That's how I'm going to play the witch. Let me be the witch. Sure enough, he became Griselda. And Griselda goes, woo, all the time. <laughs> same thing with the librarian. Same thing with Bawana. Clyde, uh, uh, um, all of them, every single character. Billy said, "Let me do it, man. Let me, let me. Do, I can do it, man. Let me do it." He was, a, he had a voracious appetite, and uh, he, he just was a workaholic. Got about twenty seconds. Uh, any character ever get rejected as being too ridiculous? No, I, that would have been super happy. But since he was a friend of the family, he got in. Mitch Markowitz, it is a, uh, it's a great 
bunch of stories you got. It's a great legacy. It's a wonderful show that when you look back as, as a great piece of Hamilton. And uh, I know you're in town for, um, we had um, Spooky. Spooky Steph on the other day. You're in town for that, uh, the haunting of uh, Hamilton Place on I, I, tomorrow night. I'm doing that haunted evening at, at Hamilton Place. I'd love for all Hamilton, all uh, Frightenstein fans to come out and join me if you can't make it for that. Saturday and Sunday, I'm there all day at the at the Hamilton Convention Center with a million other big stars. The who's who of horror appearing at that show. If you want to meet Mitch, that's where you can, uh, that's where you can find him. Uh, we're going to go to a commercial break. Can you send us out as uh, as super hippie as you would have done back then? Uh, sure. What would I have said? I would have said, uh, you know, if my if my mom was super lady and my dad was superman, what does that make me? Ah, uh, what does it all mean? It's all relative. Thanks, Mitch.